Our scriptural call to worship this morning comes from the 148th Division of Psalm, Psalm 148. If you grab your Bibles, you can join us this morning. So if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever and, have, and gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mitts, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word, even this morning. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Holy Father, we do praise your blessed name. Lord, we praise you because you are faithful. We praise you because you are good. We we praise you because you are mighty. We praise you because you are majestic. We praise you because you are a good, good father. And we praise you because you are still sitting upon your throne, ruling and reigning. Nothing takes you by surprise. Nothing catches you off guard. And Father, we praise you that we can fully trust and depend upon you. For the, in the Proverbs, it says, we will trust in you with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding. In all our ways, we will acknowledge you and you shall direct our paths. Lord, thank you for such a wonderful promise. And Father, as we gather this morning to worship you, to praise and lift up your holy name, Lord, I ask by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would allow us to worship you in spirit and in truth. That though we are the church scattered, that you would do a marvelous work within our hearts to draw near to us. That we would be impacted by your word, be impacted by this worship. That we would be renewed and rejuvenated to go into this world and to be witnesses for you. Father, I ask that you would indeed give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and a knowledge of you that we would uh, comprehend the depths of just how you love us and it will impact our hearts today. Father, though we may be anxious, though we may be uh, fearful, we know that you have this whole world in the palm of your hand, and you know what you are doing. You're good and faithful. 
In the precious name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen. Good morning, Forrest. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the seventh chapter. This morning, we are returning to our study in the book of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, the seventh chapter. And as you do, you know, during this pandemic, we have had um, things slow down tremendously. And I know many of you, you may have extra time on your hand that you didn't have before, you know, for some of us, but for for many, they're still working hard. Uh, But for those of us who have had some extra time, um, I, I, I pray that you've also had time for some just reflection, some time to reflect upon just who the Lord has created you to be, reflect upon those relationships and those friendships the Lord has allowed you to have, uh, just really to reflect upon where you are with the Lord right now. Uh, That's what we're really looking at this morning is where are you with the Lord right now? Uh, You know, one area that I would encourage you to reflect upon this morning is an area of our relationships and how we relate to God, how we relate to one another. Uh, You know, in our study of Proverbs, even just this past week, we came across a scripture that uh, highlights just how important relationships are. In Proverbs, the 17th chapter, the 17th 17th verse, uh, it reads, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born in adversity. See, we're relational beings. And all of these relationships that we've had, we, we could take them for granted. We can't take them for granted. But we see that these relationships are so important, uh, even just to help us to get through each and every day. And one thing that adversity does help with, it helps to bring uh, the needed clarity that we should have when it comes to our relationships. Adversity helps us to take serious inventory of our relationships and our relationship goals. You know, on social media, it's it's a common hashtag to see hashtag relationship goals. And under that hashtag, you might see a picture of uh, two people looking like they just uh, are so in love with one another on a beach walking And this is a beautiful picture. And these relationship goals uh, is something that people aspire to. They want to have this sense of of unity, of of friendship, of communion and intimacy. So they they say relationship goals, and they just kind of put it out there. Uh, But if we're honest, we we have to be careful in those pursuit of relationship goals. Because in our pursuit of relation goals, they can be somewhat short-sighted. Our relationship goals can actually be somewhat selfish and and self-centered. In our relationship goals, we can't see other people and just want want them to fulfill us. We want people to relate to us how we want them to relate to us. Uh, But you know what? None of us are innocent in this here. For we know for all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Because of our sin nature that we're born with, the sinful self-centeredness and self-focused sin is is within each and every one of us. So when it comes to relationships, so 
how do we overcome this selfish and self-centeredness in order that we may have a right relationship, both horizontally, but primarily vertically. So here in Matthew, the seventh chapter, we get a glimpse onto how to pursue right relationships. Matthew, the seventh chapter, beginning with the seventh verse, the word of God reads, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this the law and the prophets. Beloved, this morning I just want to talk to you on the subject of Christian relationship goals. Christian relationship goals. Let us pray. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Father, as we humbly come before your throne of grace this morning, I ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive your word with joy and gladness. Father, as we are in a season of social distancing, help us to take inventory of really what our relationships and what our relationship goals have been in the past. And ask that you would renew and refresh us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I ask that you would please take my weak words and use them for your glory today, that someone would come to know the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. So, Father, I ask that you would keep, you would watch over us, and you would protect us as you so graciously do in each and every day. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. As we read this text this morning, these are such encouraging words that we hear from Jesus. Uh, In this gospel account, we have seen how Jesus has been inviting his disciples into a a a transformative discipleship. Uh, This discipleship is is not like any other uh, discipleship that has ever been because Jesus has come on the scene and he, he is shifting the paradox from this, this externally, uh, external righteousness to this internal righteousness. And this theme of internal righteousness through a transformational relationship with Jesus uh, has been the prevalent theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And our Savior's words uh, that he's been speaking, they, they speak directly to our sinful heart condition. They remind us that if we are to be true disciples of Jesus, our hearts need to be transformed from the inside out. See, here's the point in the text. If our hearts have been radically changed by Jesus, then our relationships with others will be radically changed as well. That's the point here. Ultimately, if we draw near to the Father through the Son, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is he that brings about an internal righteousness that transforms our relationships both vertically and horizontally. Just think about transformations even in your own life. As we are having the privilege of growing in numbers here at Forest Baptist Church, not just through people joining or coming to know Jesus, but simply because of the new babies being born throughout the congregation. Just think about the type of transformations that come when a new baby comes into the home. Everything changes. Parents' worlds are turned upside down when a new baby comes in. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And when that baby comes in, we have to adjust the way we go about our everyday. We have to, to change things about ourselves in order to care for this child like this child needs to be cared for. Beloved, when Jesus comes into our hearts, everything is supposed to change in how we go about our day. We don't talk the same. We don't walk the same. We don't look the same. Everything changes because of the radical transformation that Jesus Christ brings when he comes into our life. This is the type of uh, relational transformation that Jesus is talking about here in verse 12. You can't do verse 12 in and of your own strength. You can't do verse 12 well unless you know Jesus. In verse 12, he simply says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is crazy. This is the golden rule that many have quoted uh, both religious and secular, because it gets to the heart of treating people well and rightly. And here in this particular text, this is a relational bookend along with verses 1 through 6. It's, uh, verses 1 through 6 and verse 12 kind of sandwich these other uh, scriptures in between, but uh, in verses 1 through 6, the, the command there is what we are not to do relationally. Remember, it says, do not judge. We, we are not to do these things. But then here in verse 12, it's clear because the command tells us that we are to do these things relationally. You know, somehow we are compelled to serve others in remarkable and radical ways here in verse 12. So, something is taking place in these, in these scriptures that show us the progression of how we should treat one another. But you know how we get to verse 12? We get here through the relentless relational pursuit of the Father. You know, before we even jump in, I just want to make it clear that this, 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 of what this text doesn't say. See, this text is not a blank check from God to give us all we ever wanted. All we ever desire you know, is ask, seek, not. And, and Jesus will give you what you want. That's, that's not what the text is saying. Remember, you have to make sure that you are reading a, a, a text of Scripture in the context of what came before it. And what comes before it is how do we not be judgmental to others but, but rightly deal with the, our own sin that's within our own lives? How do we begin to interact with people in a way that is not condemning, but is in a way that that exudes humility because we've been dealing with our own sin too? This is the context. 
So ultimately, what this passage of the scripture is laying out for us is that the ultimate relational goal for a Christian is to pursue right relationship with God and thereby with man for the sake of the Father's glory and for our good. I'll say that one more time. The ultimate relationship goal for a Christian is to pursue right relationship with God and thereby with man for the sake of the Father's glory and for our good. Simply put, right relationship reflects the Father's righteousness. When we are entering into right relationships with one another, it reflects how Jesus Christ has been working in our hearts to produce a righteousness that is not earthly, a righteousness that comes from heaven and heaven alone. If we would be a people who would primarily be concerned with the vertical, then the horizontal will fall into place. When we get ourselves in right relationship with God, the Father, and heaven, everything else will be taken care of as we seek to serve him through our service of others. Jesus lays this out as he instructs us to be persistent in our relational pursuits of the Father. Here in verse 7, Jesus simply says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. These are powerful words. Ask, seek, knock. In stating those words, Jesus is not asking us to pursue a casual friendship with the Father. He's not saying, oh, if you, if you think it's a good idea or if you got time or if you feel like it, you should, you should uh, pursue the Father on a, uh, on a regular basis. He, he's not saying that you can take this relationship for granted. No, Jesus' words are ask, seek, and knock. These, these words imply a constant and relentless ongoing pursuit of what the Father in heaven uh, has to say and, and, and just to be with him. This is not the, I tried God and he didn't work for me. This, 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 is, this is a person who knows that God is their ultimate end and they just want more of him every single day. They're, they're, not, they're not complacent in their Christianity and, and everything that they, uh, they have and where they have come is not enough. They want more of Jesus. Ask, seek, and knock. I love this, this invitation from Jesus because this is an open invitation to come. How wonderful is it when you receive an open invitation to come over a beloved friend's house or someone that you really want to spend time with or you really want to get to know? How, how joyful is it to receive an open invitation to them? I'm talking, about, I'm talking about what people really mean. If you ever want to come, by, come through, just stop by. I'm not talking about how people just fake that. I'm talking about when, when you really mean just come over. This is the open invitation that Jesus is giving, that you don't have to wait for anyone else in order for you to run to God right now. You don't have to wait for us to get back to church on Sunday mornings in order to run to God now. You don't have to wait. 
for Bible study on Tuesday in order to run to God. You, you can run to him right now, and he says, just come to the Father, ask, seek, and knock. This is a word of invitation from Jesus, but his words are also words of revelation of our need. How is this a revelation of our need? The fact that he is saying to persistently ask, to persistently seek, and to persistently knock, uh, this is because there is a continual need going on in our lives. See, God, he has everything. He is, uh, I am that I am. He is self-sufficient. He is good all by himself. But when Jesus gives us this invitation this is a revelation of our need because he's saying that there, never, there is never a point in our lives where we arrive and we don't need God to be dwelling near us in our lives. There's never a point in our lives where we can say, well, I really don't need to pray. Well, I really don't need to read my Bible. I really don't need the community of believers speaking unto my life. There is never a time in the disciple of Jesus' life, uh, there's, not, there's not a time in our lives that we can say we're good. Because Scripture is constantly reminding us that, no, we're not good. Matter of fact, there's no one good but God. And we are to consistently and ongoing. Uh, 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 need to pursue him. This is pretty much a beggar's logic. Uh, a beggar never gets to the point where they have all that they need, but they're constantly asking for more. And beloved, even in the midst of this crisis and pandemic, each one of us need, needs to be begging the Father for more of him. Give me more. We don't stop. We, we keep pursuing him no matter what is going on, no matter if uh, COVID-19 is in this land, no matter if uh, governmental leaders are just doing things left and right. It doesn't matter what is going on. We are to continue to pursue the Father. We see Similar words in a parallel text found in Luke, the 11th chapter, beginning with the 5th verse. If you want to turn, Luke, the 11th chapter, beginning with verse 5, and it says, Jesus speaking, he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Watch this. This is the key right here. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what Jesus is saying as we ask, seek, and knock, we're, we're not looking to receive all of these material blessings, this, this baggage and package of stuff. He's saying when we are running to him, we're asking that we would be filled with the righteousness that comes only through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're asking that God will be so gracious and to pour out his spirit upon us that we will live in a way that represents him in this world. That we will live in a way that brings about human flourishing to a whole new level. He says, ask, seek, knock. These are, these are simply synonyms for prayer. Jesus is saying, pray that I will come and transform your life from the inside out. How do we know this? We, because we, we know this because we see these same type of prayers for, by the Apostle Paul to the churches on their behalf. Turn with me to Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. Paul is praying this prayer to the church in Ephesus, and he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Here it is, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He's praying that God will give them that spirit of wisdom, that the Holy Spirit will come and open up their minds to just how valuable they are to the Father. Similar prayers found in Philippians, the first chapter, one book over. Beginning with the ninth verse. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see it to live in a way that will bring glory and praise to God. He's praying that for them. Do we pray these type of prayers for ourselves? Do we pray these type of prayers for our children? Do we pray these type of prayers for the congregation of believers? Colossians 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled 
with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Time and time again, over and over again, we see prayers going up to God that say, Lord, help me to be more faithful. Help me to be more loving. Help me to understand you more. Help me to walk worthy of the calling with which I have been called. Time and time and over and over again, we see the the text of Scripture reminding us our prayers shouldn't just be to to fix our toe or to to heal our back or to pay our bills. But yes, we should pray for those things, but we need to be adding prayers that that cause upon our Heavenly Father to make us holy, to make us righteous, to make us love him more. Jesus' word in this text reveals a heart willing to wrestle with God in order to receive his blessing. Just like Jacob on his way back from, 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 from being in a in a foreign land. He's coming back home. And, and, and right before he gets back home, the, the, the angel of the Lord meets him and he begins to wrestle with the angel. And the text of scripture says, as morning get ready to come up, the angel says, let me go. And he says, no, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And it was at that point when his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. Beloved, sometimes we got to wrestle with God in order to receive the blessing. And Wrestling with God simply means, Lord, I'm going to chase after you. Lord, I'm going to follow you. Lord, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be in your presence because I know you have a blessing. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. This is what it means to pursue the Father. And those who have been transformed by Jesus relentlessly pursue the Father By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the triune God at work in your heart. Pray that God himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, would begin to work in your heart in such a way that people will see the glory of Christ in you and that lives will be transformed because God has chosen to use you. Jesus, he, he instructs us to be persistent in our relationship no pursuit of the Father. But then he also makes us a promise in our relational pursuit of the Father. Look here in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which of one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? You know, another theme that's been prevalent through the Sermon on the Mount is this understanding of the fatherhood of God. The fatherhood of God, his goodness towards his children. And here, Jesus 
as, after he gives us the command to, to come, this invitation, this revelation, he begins to elaborate on the character of the Father. And the character of the Father is fully revealed in this promise. The, the character of God, the fact that he is a loving Father, uh, up, to G, up to the time of Jesus, no one has ever referred to Yahweh as Abba Father, as Daddy. But Jesus, he He wants his disciples to enter into a new relationship where God is not just one who oversees all, but he is the one who loves his children. And he offers us these words, and we see in this promise that this this is a, a welcoming promise from the Father. He says, for everyone. This, this is not a promise limited by socioeconomic status. This is not a promise limited by ethnicity or culture. This is not a promise that is based on anything that we bring to the table alone, but it is genuinely and squarely based upon the goodness of this good father. He says, everyone, everyone, it doesn't matter who you are or or where you've been or where you came from. It doesn't matter what you was like last week. It doesn't matter where you were last night. He says, if you are willing to chase after me, I have something for you. This is a welcoming promise, but this is also a certain promise because he says, for everyone who asks will receive. And everyone who seeks will find, and everyone who knocks will have it open to them. This, this receipt of the blessings of the Holy Spirit within your life, this is a certain promise. You know, there's many prayers that we pray where we're not quite sure what the answer is going to be. There may be somebody in the hospital right now you're praying for, and you, you want the Lord to move upon them to heal their bodies. There may be um, a callback for a job you're waiting for, you're praying for. We don't, we, we, don't, we don't know what the Lord has in store for our lives. So we cry out to God and we pray and we recognize, nevertheless, not my will be done, but his will be done. But here, Jesus is making a guarantee. This is for certain. That if anyone is willing to ask, he or she will receive. If if you're willing to humble yourself enough to seek, you will find. If, if, If you're needy enough to keep knocking on the door, it will be open. This is a welcoming promise from the Father. This is a certain promise from the Father. But then also, this is a good promise from the Father. Jesus, he, he further elaborates on the character of the good father by comparing and con- contrasting him with an earthly father. And he says, basically, if, 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 if sinful man can give good stuff to their children, how much more would a perfect, righteous, 
and holy God give to his children. Certainly, even an earthly father, when their child is asking for bread, won't pull a switcheroo and give them a stone. And certainly, if an uh, earthly father uh, hears from their child and their desire of fish, they won't try to trick them and give them a serpent. Uh, just think about those two things right there. If, if the child is coming to their father for sustenance, the, the father won't give them something that is, is possibly destructive or deadly. What Jesus is saying, when you run to the father as one of his children, he's not going to give you destruction or death in return. He's going to give you that which is a sustenance for life. This good promise is primarily a spiritual promise. We already see in, in Matthew the 6th chapter, verse 11, that, that God uh, is able to provide for our material needs. He says, give us this day our daily bread. He, uh, uh, to, Jesus is saying, ask the Father to, to meet your daily needs. But, but here is, it's, it's, it's a little different. It's not just our physical material needs. But these are our spiritual needs. Pay attention to Jesus' use of evil. By Jesus saying, if you then who are evil, he's basically acknowledging our human depravity. The fact that every aspect of our lives has been touched by sin and, and, that, and that in many ways we aren't even able to do right apart from an uh, exchange of our nature. He, he, he knows we're evil. He knows we're broken. He knows we're weak. He knows that, that we don't have what it takes to really fulfill this. And he says, if you know how to give good things, certainly, certainly the Father in heaven knows how to get, give good things. Some of these good things include the forgiveness of our sins. Good things include his, his mercy. His, his wisdom that is from above, his kindness. Certainly these, these good things include his righteousness. At the end of the day, what Jesus is talking about in good things, it is the grace of God. All that God has for his children, these good and great things. See, beloved, once we have related rightly with the Father, then we can relate rightly to one another. He's saying in verses 7 through 11, if you want to walk righteously, if you want to have a, a healthy relational impact upon those you come in contact with, if you want to have the Holy Spirit to con control your life in such a way that you don't lose it when you are entering into these relationships, you need to pursue the Father. And when we pursue the Father relentlessly, He blesses us with the prize of our relational pursuit of the Father. And the prize is verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Verses 1 through 6, 
Jesus is limiting our actions. He's saying, don't judge. Don't do this. If you have uh, a log in your own eye, don't point out the speck in your brother's eye. See, but in verse 12, Jesus is not limiting our actions. He's actually (laughs) providing invitation to limitless actions. Verse 12 is not situated in the negative. It doesn't say don't do. He says whatever you want others to do, you do also to them. He, He is saying is don't let anything hinder or hold you back For doing right, doing good to others, the the, the very same things that you were asking, seeking, and knocking for. He's saying, as a humble disciple of Jesus, uh, what what do I wish others would do to me? I am calling upon God to do something to me. I'm calling upon him to give me forgiveness, to give me kindness, to give me mercy, compassion, love, and grace. So just as I want those uh, uh, avenues and aspects and attributes of grace to fall richly upon my life, he is saying, just as I want those things, now you go and do those to other people. So, so now we enter to relationships and we are forgiving and we are kind and we are merciful and we are compassionate and we are loving and we are full of grace and truth because we, are, have, been, we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. All of our relationships are transformed because of Jesus. The same good things you want the Father to do for you are the same good things that you are now to do to others because you know Jesus. Just think with me for a moment. What glorious good will come out of doing these very things for others? Right relationship goals ultimately fulfill all of the law. For this is the law and the prophets. Did not Jesus say all of the commandments have their fulfillment in love God and love neighbor? This text shows us, this is a manifestation. We love God when we pursue him relentlessly And we love neighbor when the righteousness that has been bestowed upon us, we turn around and share that with others. How do I apply these relationship goals to my life? What are your relationship goals as a Christian? I encourage you today, because the children of God have received limitless Amounts of grace, we need only to ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock for deliverance from sin. Go directly to the Father and ask him to deliver you from that bondage. You know that sin that you're struggling with. Ask the Lord to take it away, to remove it, to give you the strength that you need to fight it, and that he will bring people around you to uh, lift you up and gird you up that you might fight sin. 
Ask, seek, and knock for relational rightness. We have some broken relationships, and we know they're broken because of things we've said, because of things they've said. We have, we have relational brokenness in our homes right now with our husband, wife, son, daughter, cousin, sister, brother. We have all of this relational brokenness, and Jesus is saying, how can the world see my glory if all of your relationships are broken? He is the healer who is able to make things right, but we must pursue the Father. And then thirdly, Ask, seek, and knock for grace to relentlessly pursue the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that not glorious? The opportunity to be held by Jesus, the good Father. And Jesus is offering you a relationship with the Heavenly Father today. He's saying, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. As we close here, I just want to ask you, uh, ask yourself a few questions. Do you relate to God as Father? Or is, is he just the big man upstairs? Or, uh, or is he just the, uh, the fun grand, grandfather that you just want to get stuff from? As children of God, we know that he is our father, Abba Father. Ask yourself, because we know that God is not an absentee father, are you an absentee child? Have you just been kind of doing things your own way, been uh, disobedient, haven't been pursuing Jesus? Are you an absentee child? But then ask yourself, do you see your need for righteousness today? If you recognize and understand that there's never been a time in your life where you've asked for forgiveness for your sin, I encourage you today to look and live, to see your need for Jesus to rule and to reign over your life. In Romans 10, 13, the Word of God reminds us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Beloved, the ultimate relationship goal for a Christian is to pursue right relationship with God and thereby with man for the sake of the Father's glory and our good. May we seek a relationship with the Father that everything else may be made right. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for for your love, your compassion, your mercy, and your grace. And Father, I ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit now upon us, even as we listen, that transformation will come, and that we will look more like Jesus, and that brokenness would be restored. We do love you and thank you. In Jesus' precious holy name we do pray. Amen.